Good morning. The kids already leave? Okay, I was like, man, are there no kids here today? It's weird. Oh, man, what a uh, great time of worship. I, I couldn't think of more appropriate songs for this day and for this moment. And just thank you guys for the way that you worship. My favorite moments um, are whenever, you know, the music kind of comes down and we get to hear each other and, and to hear you guys uh, just sing uh, like you mean it, like you believe it. Uh, it's such a, uh, and such a cool thing. And, uh, man, I'm grateful for you guys. And today we get to continue uh, in the book of Ephesians. We've been looking at first things. Um, as we start this uh, new year, and so we're continuing uh, in that and just walking through the book of Ephesians, kind of started about in chapter 3, and over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've really been challenged to make sure that we have a real relationship with Jesus, right? We, we want to know and we want to be certain where we stand with Christ, and then we kind of looked at what it means to be one, right? To be unified by faith in Christ. Despite all the distinctions and all the differences and all the things that separate us in this world, we are one through faith in Jesus Christ. And you think about what, what Ross and Glenn mentioned, you know, I was thinking, as Glenn said, that, that all over the world, we get to join with, with the whole world, literally, today uh, and, and worship and, and join with the angels because, you know, like, the, the day's been going for a long time in some places, you know? And, and I just, I know that's silly, but that, that hit me this morning. So that all, all while we were sleeping, people were worshiping. Uh, people were calling on the name of Jesus, and we just get to continue that. And that's a, that's a pretty cool image uh, to think about and to recognize that all over the world, in different languages, different tongues, different ways, people are worshiping one God, one God who is worthy. And, and that's just a really cruel thing. We, we talked about being unified in him a couple weeks ago. And then last week, finally, we were boldly challenged to serve God and one another by using our gifts uh, through the power of his spirit, right? That each of us who call the name of Christ, who claim to be saved, if we are saved, then we have a gift that God has given us through his spirit. And we're called to use it. And to be honest, a lot of times we sit on those, don't we? We, we make excuses about why we don't know or how we, why we can't. Uh, and that was the challenge just so clearly. Are you going to use it or not? And man, my, I hope that God has been all over you this week about using your gifts to honor him. I hope that you've, you've taken a, a gift assessment or you've worked with somebody or you've just signed up to serve somewhere because the Lord has been so uh, uh, present in your life and in your mind that you want to obey him and honor him, that, that we've got new volunteers and we've got new people serving in all different ways. I can tell you, man, it doesn't take a lot to smile at people as, as you open the door and say hello. Um, I can even do that, you know, and so if that, that's a place for you to start, then jump in, and if you hate it and it doesn't go well, okay, uh, but find a place to serve, man, and I'm just so excited about today, um, and, and I, don't, I don't get it just yet, but I just know, I feel like God has something good for us today. I feel like God wants to move and wants to break down some barriers, and God wants to speak, and so I come to this moment expecting God to do something. And I hope that that's what you've been doing as you prepare for today, that, that you've come expecting God to move. And if not, then go ahead right now. You can pray and you can ask God, what do you, what do you have for me? Just like Ross said, what do, you, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to teach me about my family? How do you want to, to, to change me and mold me and shape me? What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to pursue? Um, you can pray that prayer even now because I believe that's what God wants to do. Uh, today and I want to start with doing a bit of a, a pop quiz kind of a just an experiment with you all you guys good with being guinea pigs today 
All right, so I'm used to youth ministry, so when I ask questions, I get a response, so we'll try it again. Are you guys ready to be guinea pigs today? All right, now we're, now we're cooking, now we're ready. You can talk back to me, just don't say anything hateful, I might cry, but you can talk, you can say things, you can respond, I'm good with that. Um, I enjoy that, I appreciate that. So, I want to start with this little pop quiz because I think something that happens to me occasionally, and I wonder if it's happened to you, is you ever, have you ever been mistaken for someone else because of what you were wearing or how you looked or where you were? Thank you. Yes. So if you like, maybe you walked into Walmart wearing a blue vest and somebody came over and asked you, hey, where do you guys keep the matches? Because I don't know if you've ever looked for matches in Walmart, but you can't find them unless you have the app. Okay. They're just not there. They're not there. They don't exist. They are not with the candles. They're not where they should be. Occasionally they're with the charcoal, like in the spring and summer. But otherwise, you're not finding matches. Or maybe you've been at a, at a public place, like out with your family, and you've had a little small person, a toddler, just come and grab you by the leg, and you're like, because you were wearing the same color shorts as mom or dad. You ever been there? Like, I've watched my kids do it, and I just sit back, like, because <laughs> I know, like, so funny. They're fixing to find out. They're going to look up, and they finally do. But a, a few months ago, my family and I were going into the pumpkin patch. And uh, I was ahead of my, my crew. They were getting their wristbands on. And I was just kind of standing at the entrance there uh, up in Tennessee. And this lady comes and she just starts asking me, rattling off all these questions. And I, and I was like, and I guess finally she stopped and looked at my face and saw how puzzled I was. And she went, oh, you don't work here, do you? And I was like, no, ma'am. And we just kind of laughed. So apparently I look like a pumpkin farmer, okay? And I'm okay with that because my, my fall attire is definitely flannel and I probably had a Grove hat on. Um, but it was just really funny. And, and things like, happen, like that happen. And it really kind of shows us how, I don't know if important is the right word, but how distinctive our clothing and our, our outfit, what we're wearing can be uh, in certain occasions, right? So, so I want to do this little test to see if you guys can follow along and, and guess these answers. So I'm going to give you a description. And, and you're going to guess what I'm describing, and then we'll find out on the screens if you're correct, okay? So let's say a guy walks in front, uh, up to your front door. He's wearing a brown button-up short sleeve shirt and brown shorts. He's got a box in his hand. He is obviously from UPS, right? Good job. One for one. Way to go. What about this? What about a lady uh, who's wearing black pants and a red collared shirt? And she's wearing black pants and a red collared shirt. And she says, my pleasure, as she hands you a, a bag of the best chicken around. Yes, Chick-fil-A. Uh, what about a lady in maybe a blue shirt or maybe it's green. It might be scrubbed. She's got a white lab coat on and a stethoscope around her neck. Be a doctor, maybe a nurse, a doctor. Um, what about a person in a dark uniform, maybe a bulky vest, maybe some um, patches or, you know, some gold um, badge on. Uh, you might have a radio, a flashlight, a hat, some sweet aviator sunglasses. A police officer, yeah. Right? See the guy in the background? He's got the glasses. All right, what about if you saw a guy wearing khaki pants and a red shirt? No, that's Jake from State Farm, guys. Come on. So y'all are jumping on that target one real quick, right? Um, 
I remember still I was leading worship and I wore khakis and a long sleeve red shirt and somebody in my choir took a picture of me while we were singing and posted it on Facebook. Hey, Jake from State Farm leading worship today, right? <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but I, I just want to emphasize like you, you get how what we wear can kind of reveal something about who we are, right? Or what our occupation is maybe. Uh, we could go on all day about this. I remember years ago when YouTube first came a, a thing, like they were doing these flash mobs where everybody went to Best Buy wearing khakis and a blue shirt. And there was like a thousand people in Best Buy because that was what Best Buy employees wore. And it was just so confusing and weird and they would video it and it was funny. Uh, because our uniforms, our, 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 our things matter. And like I said, you, you could talk about Best Buy, you could talk about what they wear at Publix, the green shirt, or what a football player wears, what a lawyer might look like, a chef, um, or a, a security guard. You could go on and on because there's an expected look that comes along with the job or the occasion, right? You see a couple of uh, young kids and guys wearing a nice suit or a tux and the girls wearing this really sparkly, pretty dress and they're out to eat. You're like, oh, it's probably prom season, right? We, we, we know that the, the occasion dictates the dress. And so as we continue in Ephesians this week, we get into chapter four, kind of midway through, and, and we learn how this is true for Christians. Not in the sense of the clothes that we wear, but in the sense of the, the attitudes and the actions that we display, right? There's an expected look, there's an expected attitude for those of us who follow Christ and call Christ our Savior, and so if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to flip to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in verse 15 to start with, kind of transition from last week. And I would invite you to stand with me as we read uh, God's word in honor of his written word. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 15, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, it says, instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Father, we pray this morning as we look into your word, as we seek to know you and seek to know your word, God, that you would change us. God, that we would not hear from a man, but we would hear from your voice, your spirit, and you would guide us. God, I believe that you have something good for us. I believe that you want to change us and you want to shape us and you want to save sinners in this place today. So God, we ask you to move. We ask you uh, to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. You can grab a seat. Now, as we wrapped up last week, we were looking at the gifts that we have, and we were looking through that part of Ephesians that it talks about using our gifts to serve and, and how the gifts are all a part uh, of one body. And that's the kind of the big theme, uh, the major theme that we're looking through in this section of Ephesians is that we are the body of Christ. 
If you got your outline there before you, the first blank is there in that. We are the body of Christ. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We are the image of Christ to the world, uh, both as individuals, but also together as the church, even as the local church. We represent Christ, right? And, and we want to be known for, for doing things and saying things the way Christ would as, as our youth group. Like we want to be known as a youth group that honors and promotes Christ, that talks like Christ, that treats people like Christ would. Even in a kids ministry and all the things that we have, every individual ministry, the bridge ministry of the church, we want it to look like and reflect the attitude and the heart of Christ. So our goal is to become more and more like him individually and to work together as a church to represent him well so that others may believe and that the God's kingdom will grow, right? That is our purpose and our call. And Paul illustrates this uh, by comparing the church to a human body, right? We can all relate to this, right? Because we know what happens when things are good and we know what it's like for something not to function properly, right? Have you ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night? Like your whole body knows what's going on, right? And suddenly the urge to go use the restroom or whatever you were going to do is removed and replaced by the constant aching pain of your toe that you just stumped or stepped on a Lego or whatever it is, right? You notice. Uh, same thing if you get a paper cut or a splinter in your hand or you bump your head on something you didn't see. Right. Everything suddenly goes uh, bonkers and you're like, oh, man, flashing red sign. OK, you remember the cartoons when I was growing up, we had cartoons and uh, if the, the guy would smash his finger with a with a hammer, what would it do? Like we would just swell up and it would turn red and flash. And you felt that like that is the best picture of what it feels like to smash your thumb and your whole body takes notice of that. And so he's doing that. Uh, to help us understand that we need everything to function properly uh, because it matters when we don't, right? I, I told our students, because it was so cool how God worked out, the Wednesday before Ross talked about gifts is what we talked about was gifts on Wednesday night. And, and how even as students, even as adults, every one of you, if you're not using your gifts, then the body is affected by that, right? The body is impacted by you not using your gifts, and so we all want to do our part to serve and honor God and use our gifts. It's the import, it emphasizes the importance of every one of us contributing to the church as the body of Christ. So then we see Paul make this transition to help us begin to understand how we are able to do this. And it gets real straightforward uh, in the next part, okay? So look back at verses 18 and 19 with me. It says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, Paul is not talking about the church here, right? He is giving in no uncertain terms a very clear and plain and straightforward description of those who do not know Christ. Says they're hopeless and futile in their thinking. They're confused about truth and what is good and full of darkness. They're separated from God. They reject the truth and become callous to it, not because they haven't heard the truth, but because after hearing it, they have not changed and they refused to listen. They live without shame. They lust for more and more. Uh, they, they always need and want more, and they, they look for whatever brings pleasure in the moment because we know. 
Pleasure is fleeting, it never lasts, it never satisfies. They're always craving more and they're always looking for more. The next big thing, they're always searching for more and more. And that is how he describes those who are without Christ. And it was certainly descriptive of the people in Ephesus who were uh, just encompassed, entrapped in idolatry and greed and all kinds of impurity. Ephesus was known for being a, 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 like a pagan center, right? There was all kinds of different gods and idols. And, and there was this, uh, the big temple of Artemis was there. And they, they all kind of flocked around that. The, the uh, uh, economy, whoo, that was hard. I was pulling it out from back here. The economy like all revolved around this pagan idolatry. Everything about that, the guilt, everything that they did revolved around that. So it was very difficult for these men and women that Paul is writing to, to go against that and to stand out and to stand up. So he's describing what the world around them looks like. And certainly he's describing what they used to be like and what we used to be like, right? <coughs> Excuse me. We all once lived like this. It's how we once were, how we once lived, how you once desired and, and what you once were known for. But then verse 20 says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. This isn't what you know about him. This is not his heart, his attitude. This is not what you've experienced. This is not how he lived and it's not how you should live. So the question Paul is basically raising in no uncertain terms is why would anybody who claims to know and follow Christ continue to live like an unbeliever? And of course, the obvious answer and understanding is that he wouldn't. But the reality is that Paul also knows how easy it is for us as Christians to slip back into those old habits to jump back into the old way that we used to live that's comfortable, uh, that's normal, that's how we grew up. And so it's easy for us to slip back into those bad habits, those, those bad attitudes, the bad heart. Because we still live in this sinful world. And so he doesn't leave us without clear instructions. So we read on in verse 20. But that isn't how you, what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Okay. I, I want to take a minute to pause here because this is point 2A on your outline. Uh, Paul does a great job of illustrating truth to us. And he commands us to live the new life. Not a new life, but the new life. Because he, he's reminding us that we are new creatures, new creations in Christ. And so therefore we should live a new life. But the English language, again, here doesn't do us a lot of favors by, by emphasizing how important this is. And, and there's some words I want to clarify for a moment because it says first there in verse 20, it's not that we learned about Christ. It's that we met and came to know Christ. See, there, there's I, I don't know how to say this. It just doesn't give you the full meaning when you say learn about him. Certainly we learn about Christ. What we're really doing more than that is learning Christ Himself. It's not that we heard about him, but by the power of the spirit in the gospel, we heard his voice. It's not that truth comes from Jesus. It does, but it's because Jesus is truth. Do you see how the, the slight difference here in understanding? It's not that we're learning about a person. It's we're getting to know a real, live, living person. Jesus Christ. We get to know him. We don't know about him, but we get to know him. Like I can tell you a lot of athletes and famous people that I know certain things about, 
but I've not met and got to know and learn their personality, learn their tics, learn their things about them. Do you see the difference? Y'all say, yeah, if you're with me. Okay. All right. So it's just a subtle difference, but I think it's important because we get so caught up in reading and doing things. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but we do them to learn about Jesus rather than to learn Jesus and to know Jesus. Tony Meredith says it this way. Christianity is not about moral rule keeping, religious attendance, having warm feelings at a religious event, or merely believing in a God, doing good things, or knowing facts about Christ. It is about knowing Christ. Jesus even said this himself in John 17, 3, when he was praying just before he would be arrested and crucified. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So all of this, the Bible makes it clear that salvation comes through knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus. And then we continue with this practical instruction in verse 22. It says, throw off your sinful nature and former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So the second part of live the new life is by obeying the Spirit. The only way we can live the new life that Christ has called us to is by obeying the Spirit. Remember, this is no subtle suggestion. This isn't just Paul giving us good advice. He's commanding this with the authority of the Lord. Look back at verse 17. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, right? Throw off the old self, be renewed, put on the new self. All of this, he's saying, none of this is possible within within our own strength. None of it is possible outside of a work of the Holy Spirit. We just sang the song a minute ago, Lord, I need you. I don't think there's a truer confession than that, right? Lord, I need you every hour, every moment, every day I need you. So because Jesus has been crucified, resurrected and exalted and has given us his spirit, Uh, we can overcome sin and live righteously. Chuck Swindoll says, because believers have new life through Christ, they ought to live a new life through the Spirit. Because of what Jesus has done, Paul is saying, this is what you can do by the power of the Spirit. The reality is this requires effort, right? Effort, not just in the sense of I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to do better. I'm going to read more. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to try my best. It's not just that, but it's also in the sense of cooperating with the Spirit. Because a lot of times when we try, we're trying our best, we're trying to earn our salvation, right? We, if you grew up like me, it was, it was all about the rules. I knew, I knew the rules and knew I needed to follow the rules, and I was trying my hardest to keep the rules. But I failed miserably over and over again. So I was left hopeless and, and scratching for, for whatever, you know, just trying to figure something out. And it wasn't until the gospel, Jesus changed my heart that I realized, man, I cannot do this. I can't be good enough. I can't try hard enough. I'm always going to fail. But in Christ, when I rest in him, when I submit to him, then I have hope of overcoming. Then I have hope uh, of, of being changed, right? That's what Paul is explaining here in 23 and 24. He says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Not my good works, not my effort, 
not my trying real hard, but let the spirit renew my thoughts and attitudes. And then it comes my part, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly in righteous holy. So it's neither, uh, it's not either the spirit works in us or we try hard, it's both. As we immerse ourselves in the presence of God and are renewed in our thoughts and attitudes, then we are equipped to cooperate with the spirit and say no to sin. You guys get that? You're not going to get there by trying hard over and over and trying to do better. It's only when you're relying on the Spirit. It's only when you're trusting Him. It's only when you're listening and growing and being changed that you'll be able to say no. Our, our excuses are futile and weak. And, and we, we've been doing man church for almost a year now. And the thing that, that Rick Burgess, he, he's part of that, that says over and over again, is, it says, if you are not overcoming sin and you claim to know Christ and you're denying the power that is in the spirit, because what he says all throughout scripture, I think it's in John 15, he talks about, if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Not you might or you should or you could, but if you are remaining in Christ, you will. So there's that this concept, this truth that if I am in Christ, then there will be evidence, there will be fruit, right? My attitudes will change. I will see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect overnight, but I'm saying you'll be able to look back from this time to this time and go, wow, God is doing something in me. Man, I'm not where I want to be, but God is changing me. And it may be little bits at a time, but, but when we say, I can't do this, or, you know, that's just how I've always been. You know, my, my mom was this, and so I'm this. Or my dad was this way, and now I'm that way. Guys, we got to stop making the excuses because they're, they're in Christ. They're nothing, right? And, and there comes a time when we have to take responsibility for our own, our own growth and our own actions and say, God, I can't do this, but I submit to you. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, I will overcome. I will defeat this sin. And so the application here that Paul gives for us is that we must replace sin with righteousness. We must replace sin with righteousness. Everybody that, that talks about overcoming a bad habit always says you got to replace it with something good, right? They stole that from the Bible, I believe, okay? Because that's what Paul exactly is what he's teaching. If, if we read, I'm not going to take time to read the whole verses, but you read the, the rest of this chapter and he says, replace this with this. He says, replace lies with speaking the truth. Replace sinful anger with righteous anger. Replace stealing with honest hard work. Replace abusive language with words that build up. Repra replace grieving the Holy Spirit with submission to him. Replace bitterness and rage with kindness and forgiveness and we could add to the, this list on and on and on and this is what I'm hoping that Holy Spirit is doing in your heart right now is he is he is calling out that sin in your life and he's also giving this solution what to replace that with right if it's greed replace it with generosity if it's hate replace it with love if it's fear replace it with boldness if it's impatience replace it with active waiting if it's impurity replace it with cleanliness if it's gossip replace it with edification right we can we can talk about we can just learn and see these things all throughout scripture but again we need Christ we need the Holy Spirit for this to happen and what I've been so kind of convicted about recently is we also probably need to change the way that we approach spending time with God. 
So I find that in my own life and in the students I talk to and adults that I hear from, that many of us read scripture for the sake of learning more about Christ. And we come to church to hear more about him and we sing songs to glorify him. We may even serve to help others. But we don't always recognize these moments as spending time with him. Hearing his voice, learning him. So we become lackadaisical or rigid or dare I say even bored in what we're doing in our quiet time because we read this book and we just don't get it. We come to church and we don't really like this song or that song. or We didn't get anything from the message or, you know, I tried to serve and somebody hurt my feelings or made me mad. And we miss the point that it's not about us, but it's about him. And then we have, or we are invited into these moments, these opportunities to, to learn him and to know him and to experience him as a person. And I've been so reminded of this, this past week or two because, man, so many times I've been disappointed at events or at church because oh, that wasn't what I thought it would be. Well, that wasn't as good as last year. Oh, you remember that one time I was at camp and we sang this song and it was so cool, it was so good. I wish we just sung that song again. And I'm not saying that to, to guilt you or dog you. I'm just telling you what I've been living through the last couple of weeks. And I would, I would guess that many of you are like that. We, we get in that moment, we forget it's, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. I, I'll share this because Ross shared the sermon with me that, that I listened to. And it was talking about uh, Revelation 4 where you see this just unimaginable, beautiful picture of the throne room of God. And all the descriptions uh, of his beauty and his presence and the angels there, the elders bow down and worship. And, and there, there's angels that are never stop declaring holy, holy, holy. And, and then there's no mention of us. Except for there's these bowls that are filled with incense. And those are the prayers of the saints. Right? It's all about God. It's all about his glory. It's all about his goodness. And the role that we play is, is, is I want to fill that bowl up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want us to, to, be, to be, I mean, we're, we're asking God for great things and awesome things because we believe in how awesome and great and mighty and powerful and loving and caring he is. And so I want to fill that bowl up with those requests, right? I want the incense to never stop burning to be, I want it to, to look like somebody left a fog machine on all night, you know? Because that's what I want for my life is not to forget the role I play, but also not to forget to call on the God who can do great and mighty and powerful things. If I'm struggling with sin, I want to call on God to fix it and to help me and, and to say no, because I know that he can. And I believe that he will. If I've got friends who don't know Jesus and I want to be filling that bowl of incense up with my request for God to save that person. Because I believe that he can and I trust that he will. It's not just a book that we read to understand, but it's a message from God. We don't just gather to get something out. We gather to give something to, to meet with God and to serve one another. And I share this because it's just been so good. I've seen it a couple of times, but Shane Pruitt, uh, he's the next gen evangelism director for the North American Mission Board. And he, he put this out a couple of weeks ago. If you don't want church to feel like a routine, 
Pray before you get there and ask God to speak to you. Listen to worship music on the way. Take a Bible with you instead of relying on the screens. Don't run late. Sing loudly like you mean it. Take notes. Expect God to move. And I was like, man, how many times do I just show up and not expect anything? And that's why today's been so different because I expect God to be doing something in this place. And I would say the same thing about the way that we approach scripture. If you just open up the, the word and just start reading, then I mean, certainly God, I'm not going to limit God and what he can do and what he will do. But man, how much better is that time going to be if you spend five or 10 minutes praying and saying, God, I need to hear from you. I need you. God, speak to me. I want to know you. I want to feel your presence. I want to hear from you today. And then you go read, right? What, what if before we left our house to go to work or go to school or wherever we were going, we said, God, I need you this day. God, I know there are opportunities. I know there are people that need you that I will see today. God, help me be aware of the moment. Help me be in the moment. Help me see the opportunity to share the good news. You know, I think those opportunities would become more and more frequent. Absolutely they would. And so that's my challenge. That, that's what I think we can do today. When we're spending time with Christ, we're worshiping him, we're learning him, we're loving him, we're being changed by him. All of this equips us and allow us, allows us in his power to take off those old nasty clothes of sin and shame and regret and be clothed with righteousness in Christ. So the response this morning is pretty simple. What do I need to take off and replace with righteousness? Or another way of saying it, how can I cooperate with the Spirit to defeat sin in my life? How does my approach to spending time with God need to change? Because here's the danger, friends. The danger is that we will be mistaken for somebody we're not. It's like we talked about in the opening, because we go to church and because we show up here and we say the right things here and there, but if we leave here and we don't carry that same attitude in the heart of Christ, we might be mistaken for somebody that we're not. You guys with me? I don't want our youth group, our church, our kids should be known of a place where people go and get excited and raise their hands, but they leave and they act no different. I don't want us to, to be, I don't want to be a guy that, that leads people astray because my attitude and my heart and my language and my words don't align with scripture. See how dangerous that is? There's even scripture that says it would be better for us to have a millstone hung around our nest, neck and be tossed into the ocean than, than for us to, to pull one of those young ones, one of those little ones away from following Christ, right? I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. So I want us to take a moment. I'm going to ask the band to come back up here. And, and I don't know how God is calling you to express this, how to, how to surrender to this. Maybe uh, you want to take your notes there and, and write put off on one side and put on on the other and just start listening to things that you know God is dealing with you about. Um, maybe you want to put them in your phone or maybe you want to text a friend and say, hey, I need your accountability in this area of my life. But one way I know that we can respond that we, we often don't is, is by coming to this and making this an altar and praying. I'm not here to tell you there's anything magical about these steps or just wood and carpet. But I think we've gotten so lazy in our response even that we're like, well, I'll talk to somebody later. I'll pray about it later. And there's something about 
putting action to what God is doing in your life that, that matters, that I think is a big deal, that I think, be honest, we need to bring back some of, right? Because I remember being that 13-year-old boy sitting in the pew, knowing that I couldn't keep the rules, knowing that a magical prayer had not, had not fixed my life, but knowing I needed Jesus. And I was scared to death to walk down in front of my church and admit that I was wrong because I had been trying to, to mask it and play the game and look the part for so long. I'd raised my hand at, at, at power team presentations two times, right? But there was something about finally taking that step and just going. Because that's the moment that God saved me and God changed my life. Some of you guys in here need to let go and you need to stop pretending to stop saying all the right things and just trust God. And I would love to talk to you through that. Some of you got sin that's just wrecking your life and you're just absolutely terrified that somebody else is going to find out. And it's affecting your family, your relationships, your work. You can't witness anybody because they see all this stuff that you're doing. It's time to stop making excuses, start taking steps to get that off and put on the righteousness of Christ. So I don't want us to dismiss this moment. I'll be honest with you. We got another, another service in 27 minutes and I would like nothing more than for them to walk in on us, praying and exalting the name of Jesus and seeking his heart and us saying, hey guys, it's going to be a minute because God is working in your life, in our lives. So whatever he's calling you to, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. If you need to come and confess a sin, not because I'm a priest and I can fix it, but because I can hold you accountable or I can give you uh, steps to take or whatever it is, this is your time to do that. But let's not waste it. Let's be real. Let's, let's allow God to work and let's be obedient to his spirit. Would you guys stand with me? Now you're already halfway there, right? You're out of your seat. If you need to move, we're going to pray and it's time to move. God, we love you. I thank you for that reminder of what we used to be. God, and I thank you for the blood of Jesus that says I don't have to be that anymore. I'm made new in Christ. I'm not perfect. But in Christ, I can overcome sin. In Christ, I can share with my friend or my neighbor. In Christ, I have new life. God, I pray this morning for the person that knows they don't have that new life, but they want it and they're scared and they don't understand. God, give them courage to come and just accept the gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ. For those who are struggling with sin, God, I pray that they wouldn't take this lightly, but they would act now to put off the old way, the former self that's corrupted, and they would put on the new clothes of righteousness in Jesus Christ. God, let us be obedient in this moment, in this time. In Jesus' name.